Well, good morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, we're going to be looking at the whole chapter this morning. It tells us a story that we may be very familiar with. And, and at the same time, if, if you're a guest, welcome. If you're watching online, welcome. And just to give you a little bit of explanation, uh, we study through books of the Bible here. So we just start in a book, we study it all the way through, and we're working through the Gospel of John. Uh, John puts his book together in a specific order, and he's not necessarily worried about chronology. And so did, did the blind man happen exactly after this discourse in John chapter 8, chronologically? Maybe, maybe not. For John, that's not as important as that we don't miss the point of why he chose this story of the blind man and put it right after this conversation he has had. The conversation that had a context. The context was the Feast of Booze. He reminded me of our Christmas because there's, there were lights at the Feast of Booze. There was a celebratory kind of feeling and singing and all kinds of wonderful things. It was a big deal in the Jewish community. That was the context for Jesus standing up and declaring himself to be the light of life, the I am, equal with God. And then John brings up this story, this encounter with a man that had never seen his parents Never saw a sunrise, never stood out on a starry night and looked at the stars. Never saw anything. He was blind from birth. See, for John, this wasn't just a miracle. For John, they are signs. They, they point to something greater than themselves. And that if we don't get that, though we may be familiar with the story of the blind man, we have missed John's point completely by studying a story out of its context. And so we want to grab that this morning. The blind man serves in its illustration for fallen mankind. We are spiritually blind. We cannot see the beauty of God. Even in the midst, as we'll see this morning, our own religiosity. And so stand with me. I'm just going to read the first seven verses this morning so we get the story in our mind. John chapter 9, verse 1. I'm going to be reading through verse 7. And he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works, that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. It's God's word. Pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, grant us today. Lord, as we look back on 2020 and we look back on 21, grant us today, Lord, the ability to see ourselves the way you see us. 
Grant us today, Lord, the ability to see the world the way it truly is. God, today, grant us the ability to see the others that you have put in our life the way you see them. Oh God, we don't want to miss an opportunity in 2021 to put you on display. So grant us, Lord, to understand the truth of this word and apply it into our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been trying to be even more clear as we start every message to not only point out what the main idea of the text is, but also sort of where I would like us to go by means of its purpose, that is, its application into our life. And so very simple main idea today. Uh, Jesus' incarnation brings sight to those who are blind. We're going to look at two types of blindness. And yet, how do we apply that into our life? Here's what I hope we're going to land the plane today. I want to, I want to point it out from the beginning. You'll see it on the top of your notes. Not all spiritual blindness looks the same. As authentic followers, we must long to see ourselves, the world, and others the way Christ sees them in order to put the glory of the Lord on display in our everyday life. So let's look at the two types of blindness. There is the physical and there is the spiritual. There is the physical that, that John tells us about and then he tells us so that we may not miss the spiritual blindness that's going around all through this story. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at this story, points of the story, then we're going to go back and look at it again. First looking at the characters in the story, identifying different types of blindness. Then we're going to look at it again, and I want to see how this man's faith plays in and how it grows. So Jesus, to some degree, as we look at verses 1 and 2, I want you to see the reality of suffering. So if you're taking notes, you'll see three passages there under physical blindness. Verses 1 and 2, suffering's reality. Suffering's reality. This was his reality. He was blind from birth. <clears throat> and what we see here is really, if you would ask Jesus, we saw this, we see this all through Jesus' life. He's always teaching his disciples. One could say this was his main point, <laughs> is, to, is to see the disciples. And I want you to be aware of this. I wanted to point it out because we engage this kind of kind of question every day. Jesus is walking. This man is, is begging. He is blind. John gives us a detail that he has never been able to see. And the disciples said, teacher, can we ask you a question about this beggar over here? He's blind. Why, why is he blind? Is it either that he sinned and God punished him, or is it that his parents sinned and their sins are visiting his children? Which is it? Well, you see, that's what we call a logical fallacy. You need to be aware of it, because if you're not aware of it, brothers and sisters, your children are going to school and to college, and this is all they're hearing. It sounds sort of like this. How did the world begin? Is it A, the Big Bang, or is it B, maybe aliens brought life? And don't laugh at that. That's a legitimate thing people put out there. What will you never get? You'll never get creation. You won't hardly ever get intelligent design. 
You see, that's a fallacy. But that's just where the disciples were. Listen, we must need to see the world the way it is. That's where they are too. <laughs> so there was an assumption. The assumption was the same assumption that Job's friends had. You remember? It, <laughs> you got it so bad, it must be something you've done. That's what they're just assuming. But he points out the fact that's not true at all. Now, does some sin bring suffering? Absolutely. We don't need to look at no further than the story of David and Bathsheba. Or listen, if we're honest, we don't look at, I need to look any further than our own story to see that oftentimes sin brings suffering. But there's a purpose. So verses 3 to 5, you see, not only suffering's reality, but suffering's purpose. And praise the Lord, is so clear here. Verse 3, Jesus answered them, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Look at on what he said in verse 4. Notice the we here. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night's coming. And so the purpose of his suffering was to display the very person and work of Jesus Christ. This is a critical point in the message today to get. To display the works of the person of Christ, one must have spiritual sight. To display the works, one must see. There's a blindness here. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He said, brothers, night's coming. Now, what does that mean? People who like to debate these things have multiple reasons. Most, the, the largest consensus is he is pointing towards the cross. If you have noticed today, the music is pointing towards the cross. Night is coming. At this point in the, in the mind and the discipleship and the maturity of the disciples, they do not completely understand at all uh, the Holy Spirit that is going to come. Night is coming. Right now, we need to be displaying the person in work. Jesus had a mission, undaunted. So there was a purpose. Suffering is a reality, but it is purposeful. And in this case, I want you to see in verses 6 to 7, suffering's healing. Look at verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So that he went, he washed, he came back seeing. So what's up with the, with the mud? Talk about that mud in a minute when we start talking about faith. But notice that he, he sent him. Some of our church fathers made a big deal out of the name of this pool. It means sent. John wants you to know that. You see that in parentheses? John, so the one who was sent from God sent the man to a pool named sent. This man's living proof that God doesn't always tell us what he's doing. Timing's never our timing. Seldom ever. This man has been born blind. He was a grown man. We don't know how old he was. 30, 40 years old. He had never saw anything. There was a purpose. But it wasn't on his timetable. This is what the, the Lord means that in Romans 8.28 when Paul said, and we know that all, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For them who are called according to his purpose. He's got a purpose for us. He doesn't always tell us the purpose of everything that we go through. 
In this man's life, he experienced healing. Some people in their life do not experience physical healing. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Romans 8.18. Romans 8.18 points out this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That means that there is always a purpose for our suffering, even if we will not see it unto glory. That that which, that which awaits us is greater than anything that we go through. And that was true not only of what you're going in your life, it was true of our martyrs who are being suffered and killed even today for their faith. So there's a barrier, though. This is what I want you to see. There's a barrier. The barrier to put God's works on display is this blindness. The Bible calls it spiritual blindness. It oftentimes in the Bible is compared to having eyes that can't see, ears that can't hear. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in trespasses and sin. Spiritual blindness, though, has many faces. And so what I want us to do is just look at the story, just roughly. I'm not going to get in detail this morning. I want you to think about the characters, the characters in the story. There they're, they're are around five of them. The first is the disciples themselves. Remember how it begins. I want you to see these different responses. The different attitudes reveals that blindness has many faces. Doesn't always look the same. The disciples notice. Look at beginning again. The disciples don't even really see the man. Do they? They see him. They don't really see him. They believe that he has an opportunity to have a theological conversation. But they don't really see him. Here's the truth, brothers and sisters. These disciples were followers of Christ, and yet they had blind spots. Here's your reality and mine. We all have spiritual blind spots. This is why we can read history of people who professed Christ in the times of slavery and say, what in the world is going on there? And yet every day, don't we walk past people, we don't even see them. We don't even see them. I've done it and you've done it too. Walk back a homeless person or a prostitute and you say, they've bound to done something to deserve that. They've made a decision. That's their fault they're out on the street. I've heard it from professing believers. They want to be homeless. Them prostitutes want to be pimped out for $5 and a, and a hamburger. You ever met a 10-year-old that said they wanted to be in that experience? No. Here's the problem. Half the time, we're just like the disciples. We don't see the suffering of the person. We don't see the people. We make a judgment, some kind of doctrinal theological assumption on them, and we never see them. So don't miss this blind spot today. I've got them, you've got them, brothers and sisters. This is why we live in community with each other. Because I can't see my blind spot. Found out last week, I had my mask hanging out the back of my pocket the whole time. Right? Nobody told me, hey, pastor, you got, a, you got your mask. That's just, a, that's just an illustration. You, we walk around with, with, with blind spots and things. And sometimes if somebody don't love us, they say, you know, you probably need to go to the bathroom and take care of that. Spiritually. We have blind spots. And those that are suffering, those that are broken, those that are lost, 
They're opportunities. Not for debate. But to show, to display the love of Christ in us. We could argue this was Jesus' primary goal for the disciples. To see other people the way he saw them. He was headed to the cross because of his love. You see, if you don't see him, if 2021 we get, we get crazy busy again, when COVID passes and we pick up everything that we've somehow been able to lay down, we pick it back up again, we'll miss the opportunity to put the Lord's glory on display because to do it, we have to see people the way Christ sees them. The disciples didn't see it. How about the neighbors? Look at verse 8. The neighbors. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is. Others said, no, she just looks like him. Listen to what it said. He kept saying, I'm the man. That's right. All of a sudden, it was like the man sitting there seeing, you know, and they're having this conversation. I don't think it's him. It's him. I think it's him. No, it's not him. He's sitting there going, it's me. Right, hello, I'm right here. I can see. <laughs> They've missed it. They're curious. Augustine, by the way, offers an enlightening. He said, probably some of them didn't recognize him because you look a whole lot different once you can see. Like once your eyes are open. He didn't even look like the same guy. Point was, he's sitting there. Nobody saw him. They were bewildered, amazed, curious. Curiosity is still blindness, brothers and sisters. We can tell people are blind because they oftentimes ask us peripheral questions but never deal with the heart of the issue of their sin in relationship to a holy God. They can offer how but not why. Why was this man able to do what he did? So here's what they do. Look at verse 13. I don't know. Let's go ask the preacher. Right? Let's go ask the pastor. They, they found the most religious people in their day, and they say, let's go ask him. So they brought, him, they brought the man that was healed to the Pharisees. That's our next set of blind folks. And yes, religion can be especially blind. Religious people can be some of the most blind people on the face of the earth. We need only to read the Gospels and see what Jesus says to the most religious to see it. So let's notice what the, the, what the Pharisees say. Notice what John gives us immediately. Verse 14. He tells us this. It's a reoccurring thing in the, in, the, in the Gospels. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. We were like, he's telling you, uh-oh, it's coming again. It's coming again. It comes to Pharisees. This... Jesus had spit on the ground and had reached down and, and mashed it together and made mud. You know, that's, that's work. We can't work on the Sabbath day. It's against the law. They had legalism with no compassion. It's blindness, brothers and sisters. Blindness. They had the Scripture memorized. They were still blind. So they imposed their standard legalistic condemnation where they completely ignore the fact that this man has been healed. And who in the world could do such a thing? And they said, he's got to be a sinner because nobody works on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath day. 
So, give you an illustration. I like to pick on Mike because I know Mike. So Mike sings on the praise team. Let's say he's got to be here at 9.30. He's, he's making good time heading down, coming down from Cherubal. It's 9.15. He's going to get here just in time. But there's, some, there's this older man who's had a flat tire, and he's lost control. He's ran off in the ditch. And so Mike stops, and then Mike helps him. It takes a long time for Mike to get that rascal out of the ditch, change his tire. And he gets here at 10.45, right? Mike and the rest of the team's already, you know, they're already warmed up. Mike comes in. I'm like, what in the world are you doing? Don't you know what time it is? He said, man, it's an old man coming out. You know, he tells me the whole story. I'm sitting there going, listen, that must be the condition of your heart that you don't respect our, our time and get ready so that you can worship the Lord with us. Don't you know we're leading people in worship? What's wrong with you? Right? I just let him have it. What have I missed? I've missed not only the Lord in his heart. I've missed the man on the side of the street. I've missed it all. I've missed everything. See, blindness may follow the Lord. It can. It can follow the law, I mean. Blindness may follow the law, but it cannot see the Lord nor the people. It blinds you from everything. It gives you a form of religion, a form of Christianity that is loveless, cold, and unattractive. <laughs> what did Jesus say that we should do? With these kind of blind people. On well, Matthew 15, verse 14, it's not in your notes. Matthew 15, 14, we know this verse well. Here's what he said Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, what happens? They both fall in the pit. In other words, stay away from this kind of people. They are dangerous. They are dangerous. How about the parents? And so, here, you know what happened. The disciples were the first one to engage the blind man. And then we have the healing. Then we have the neighbors. The neighbors couldn't figure it out, so they took them to the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't want to accept what Jesus did, so they called in who? The parents. The parents. And let's just look at how the parents end up responding to the most religious. Verse 23. It said, therefore his parents said, He's of age, ask him. So they say, you know, is this your son? Yep. What happened? He can see. How'd it happen? Don't know. Uh, he's a big boy. Ask him. We have verse 22. Verse 22, notice the parentheses again. John's giving this to the reader. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, you see, that's the issue. He was to be put out of the synagogue. So they knew the issue. The rule had already come out. You speak to Jesus, you're going to be kicked out. That means excommunicated. Now, I know that doesn't seem like a big deal to us. It was everything to the Jewish people. The community life was everything. You would be cut off. It was the equivalent of being cursed from the community life. In other words, the parents reason this. Just ain't worth it. It's not worth it. They would rather settle for dead religion than a relationship with Jesus because it just costs too much. Standing against all of these is the man, right? 
We're going to come back and look at the man again. The man, I, I love him. He had the spiritual gift of sarcasm. It's our love language as a family. If you ever hang around, you'll, you'll start to see it. Like, what did he say? We're just, I'm sorry, we're just sarcastic. This man's sarcastic, though. His, and, his, and his boldness sort of grows through the whole conversation. Look at verse 25. They, they ask him about Jesus. They're not going to accept what Jesus did. They're not going to accept it. They're not accepting it. They just keep coming back to him. Verse 25, man answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing that I do know, I was blind, and now I see. So all this debating you're going to do, I don't know, dude. All I know is, couldn't see, now I can. Only person that was in front of me, spit on the ground, slapped mud on my face. That's all I know. (laughs) I went and washed, now I can see. It seems like if you look that they're saying, give God the glory. Sounds positive, it's not. You're saying, he's a sinner. He couldn't do anything. We don't know how this happened, but it wasn't from him. They, they keep pushing him. Call him back a couple times after the parents. They call him back again. They want to say, <laughs> it's like, it reminds me if you ever watch somebody being investigated by the you know, by the police, they're coming and asking the questions over and over again to see if their story changes. He finally tells them, you know, I've already told y'all this one time, and you didn't listen the first time. I just love that. Right? See, John is contrasting him through the whole story against all the other characters, even the own disciples. But they're all, their blindness looked differently. He's but... Notice what happened next. You can see it in verse 28 to 29. It says, they reviled him. The Pharisees reviled him. That word means insulted, even abused him. They verbally assaulted him just like they did Jesus. You know what Jesus says? Somebody looks at us, sees sees Christ in us, they're going to insult us, they're going to attack us. That's what they've always done. They attacked him undaunted. Look at verses 31 to 33. Here's what the, how the man responds. He teaches the teachers. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This was the blind man, the one that had never been able to read his whole life. And yet he could see. As a result, he was excommunicated from the synagogue. In other words, he paid the cost that his parents wasn't willing to pay. You see, spiritual blindness, what I want you to see today, is every person's reality. Before Christ, the Bible compares us to blind people groping around in the darkness trying to find the wall. Isaiah 59 verse 9 says this, Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. And so this whole month, we have set this time aside to think about This one who came in to time and space and dwelt and lived life among us, he did so 
to come into the world to bring people out of darkness. So we see the incarnation not only reveals different faces of this blindness, but also the necessity of faith. The necessity of faith. Now, we just look at the story again. Let's go back to that mud. Jesus spits on the ground. What's up with that? Why mud on the eyes? <laughs> I get the privilege of studying a lot for messages, and it's amazing how many people wrote about the mud. You know, we were created from dirt. Maybe that's why I used mud. It, you know, people who don't like miracles say there was something healing in the mud. The mud's not the point, right? The point was that the man obeyed. Mud was the, the means of faith, the, the test of faith. This guy walked up to him and put mud on his eyes and told him to go wash in a pool. And that he did. Summarizing it well is the Lord himself. John nine thirty nine. Look at verse 39. This is what Jesus said. This is why it's pointing to something greater than the physical healing, you see. He says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And if you look at verse 40, you'll see the Pharisees got this itching feeling that they might be talking to us. Is he talking to us? Are we blind? Jesus told them, it's worse than you think. <laughs> Here's the point. Authentic faith is a miracle of God's grace. It is a miracle of God's grace. The first miracle that happened was not sight. It was faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The first miracle that happened was this man believed. And he obeyed. There's a very important point, especially in the second half of this story, that, that Jesus found the blind man. Brothers and sisters, this is why we need to see Jesus for who he was. Jesus is a seeking Savior that came to seek and to save. Jesus did not come to earth, build a building, put out a sign, and say, come and see. He didn't. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. He was killed outside the city. And he tells us, because you are mine, go outside the city. That's where the broken are. Faith is a gift. But here's the truth, too. Authentic faith can be an immature faith. Authentic faith can be an immature faith. Now, there is a debate, and I think you can see by the message where I stand on it, was, was the man truly saved in the very beginning, or was he saved at the end when he said, I believe? I'll let you wrestle with that yourself. I think we can see a pattern here through the whole story of a man who had him an immature faith, but as you follow the storyline, you can see his faith growing. At the beginning, look at verse 15. He simply says, He put mud on my eyes, I washed, I see. So let me put some tension in something I said a few weeks ago. It's a good point to talk about immature faith. 
when a child comes to me for baptism and we talk to that child, I mentioned a few weeks ago, I always push in on the child to make sure they have counted the cost of following Christ. Here's what I want us to understand here. You cannot expect a 10-year-old to count the cost the same way a 50-year-old does. True. But, listen. You do not have to have 20 years of life experience to know Jesus Christ as Lord and that He lived a perfect life, died on the cross. You do not have to have 20 years of experience for the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Authentic faith is a faith that trusts in Christ alone. Simple faith is authentic faith. The Bible calls this childlike faith. This is not a naive faith. It is a pure faith. We have, I've used this illustration before. You tell a three-year-old to stand on the edge of the pool and jump into it. If he does not trust you, if they do not trust you, they ain't jumping. It's a pure faith. If they trust the parent in the water, they will jump. Authentic faith is a pure faith. Authentic faith can be an immature faith, but it is always a growing faith. Do you see that? Authentic faith can be immature, but it's always growing faith. So authentic faith is a gift that grows to maturity. I'm not going to do it right now, but just look at verses 11, 15, 25, and 35 later on. Just notice that this, you can even see this man, this little short story. His faith is growing. His boldness, as he knows, he knows what happens if you dare buck up to the most religious people in the community. They're going to kick you out. And then time after time, the man passed the test of faith. Did it cost him something? Yes, it did. But he gained Christ. Here's what we know. Authentic faith is always a worshiping faith. Though it's immature, it worships. It's growing. It's just growing. It's worshiping. Listen. You have the yellow indicator light in your engine, your spiritual engine, if you do not long to worship your Lord. I don't care how much scripture you know. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what degrees are on your wall. You can have 40 years of ministry experience and be watched on TV and be dead on the inside. Authentic faith is a worshiping faith. Spiritual sight comes through the gift of faith. But it is a gift that we express through trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone for our salvation and our hope. The purpose. Our purpose. Not all spiritual blindness looks the same. And here's the truth. I can see yours far better than I can see mine. As authentic followers of Christ, we should long for this. We should long for this. I want to see myself for the way I really am. I want to see myself for the way Christ sees me. But I also want to see the world. If I don't see the world for who it is, I'm going to be sucked into the world. And yet if I don't see the broken and the lost the way Christ sees, I won't go to them. I'll settle in for a comfortable Christianity that believes bringing our kids to church and putting them in programs. While they never see the mission of God, they leave and they do not come back. We must take them with us outside the gate. Our lives exist, brothers and sisters, 
to put God's glory on display. And it matters not. It matters not what paper is on your wall. It matters not whether they call you sir or doctor or mama. It matters how we put God's glory in display wherever we find ourselves, be it junior high, be it college, be it a nursing home where I'm in a nursing home where I'm laid on the bed and I cannot move. My, my job till Jesus takes me home is to put my Lord on display and I can do it flat on my back or I can do it standing on a mountaintop. It matters not. If I am here, I have a purpose. You have a purpose, brothers and sisters, and it is to put God's glory on display. It's why you are here. So what today? So what today? Am I presently considering God's glory in my circumstances of life? Here's where I see people getting stuck. It's where I am right now in life is my current struggle, pain, trauma, depression, addiction, life-dominating struggle, whatever it is. Is it because I did something wrong? Maybe. Probably. <laughs> Not always. In the midst of life, right? That's what we're living life. That's what 2020 has been. Hard life. There is something that goes on in your life. And some of it is sin done by you. Some of it is sin done to you. But listen, and I'm sorry that our denomination does a pitiful job talking about the demonic. But listen to me. As your pastor who faces it himself, the more you engage in the mission of God, the more the devil and his cronies will come after you. Not all suffering is because of your sin. Sometimes it is precisely because you are doing what God told you to do that you are attacked. Here's my question. Could it be that your pain is a glory bridge? Could it be that this pain that you've struggled in the past or the present, those that will struggle in the future, it's a bridge. It's a bridge into the lives of people that you would never be able to speak into if you do not go through what you went through. Could it be that even in that, that was not okay, that I can redeem that by putting God's glory on display? You see, our faith must be a maturing faith. It cannot be a stagnant one. And I say this out of love. I say this to myself. The more you dwell on yourself, the more you dwell on your past, the more you dwell on your present and your future, the blinder you will become. Let me say that again. The more you dwell on yourself and your past and your present and your future, the blinder you will become. You see the common word there. My past and my present and my future. Listen, we need to pause and work on things going on in our life, but we never get stuck there. We need to see others. This is the means of our healing. Listen, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ paid for your sin on the cross so that you can lay it at the cross and never pick it up again and never accept anybody else that tries to throw it in your face. Lay it down. Don't pick it up again. And just remember... Christ 
can give you the ability to forgive other people who sinned against you. You need to lay that down at the cross, brothers and sisters, and we must begin to see others the way Christ sees them, and then just find small ways tomorrow. Find a small way tomorrow to display God's glory in other people's life that can never pay you back. We live beside of you. You'll meet them at the rest stop and at the gas station and at the grocery store. See others first, the way Christ sees them, and you will be amazed at how things in your own life come into clarity. Listen to this out in the shop yesterday as I was working a little bit. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes that I can, so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, for the one who far stretched beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so that I can see. Here's, a, here's what I asked myself last night. Did the disciples ever get, the, get it? Right? They enter in that man's life, they don't see him. Right? Did the disciples ever get it? Well, you mean they did. It's good news, it's hope for us, Right? Jesus leaves the sins, promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, Pentecost comes. Here's the story, Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the, at the hour of prayer, for ninth hour, verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried when they laid, and laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful to ask alms for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Look at verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. It's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in our life to reveal our blind spots so that we may see Christ and then we may see others the way he sees them. Is this the reality in your life today? Because if not, you need to hear the question that Jesus asked the blind man. Do you believe? That's what he said in verse 35. Here's what he asked him specifically. Really important for John. Do you believe the Son of Man? Why did he say it? that way. Do you believe that I am the revelation of God in your life? Do you believe that I am the I am? His response was, I believe. What is your response? Nothing else flows unless we begin here. Do you believe Here's a verse, another verse that means a lot to me. If you're a believer, it should mean a lot to you. I know I was in Timothy last week too. Second Timothy, Peter's in prison. I mean, Paul's in prison, about to face death not too long. He writes to Timothy. Here's what he says. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. He's in prison facing death. 
He said, I still got a purpose. Because I have entrusted myself to Christ. Entrusted my eternal soul to Him. This frees not only Paul, he frees Timothy, you see. The Lord's guarding it. You got a better guard? <laughs> you can't get a dog that can guard something. It won't be lured away by his own appetites. Christ is guarding it. That means that I'm free. I'm free. I'm free to live my life the way Christ has shown me to live. To put him on display. To take the gospel to people. So that they may know there is one Savior of the world. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we Lord, this whole month we have sought to lift your son up to remember that it is the Christian story that the God who created everything entered into this world so that we may have a relationship with you. Lord, it is our story, and you gave us our story, that there is no work that I can do to earn my way to you. And yet, Lord, everybody, every other religion gives them some kind of work to do. And let, Lord, you told us to believe by faith in your son's work. And so, Lord, we say collectively together as one, we believe. Now, Lord, those who believe long to stand up and live. Not in bitterness, in resentment, not in some kind of life-dominating of sin or anything that controls us, but to live a life of joy and of victory for you. Lord, direct us now. For what we want to do right now is simply to worship you, to worship your son, to lift him up. And Lord, we're going to do that in multiple ways. We're going to do it through the Lord's Supper, Lord. You told us to do it often as we meet Lord so we do it every week we don't want to miss anything Lord so we're going to as we sing Lord we're going to go back to the tables and we're going to remember we're going to call it to mind Lord who we were before you opened our eyes and we're going to be moved Lord to remember your mercy and your compassion for us. Because your son gave his body for us. His blood was poured out for us. And this we remember. We remember, Lord, that you are a gracious and generous God. So we are going to give. And then, Lord, we are going to walk out of this place. Outside the safety of our worship space to go out into a world put your glory on display so now Lord receive our worship in Jesus name Amen